I'm Beth Bennett. This is How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. Today is Tuesday, October 27th, 2020, and I'm recording this show from my dining room table. Coming up, an interview with German dentist, Dr. Dominik Nischwitz, who discusses recent scientific research showing the mouth's vital role in whole body wellness. We begin with a look at some of the recent news in science. bird brain used to be derogatory, but not any longer. Two studies by a group of German scientists published last week in the journal Science refute this insult. I'll start by relating a story about crows. It involves a person pretending to target them with a broom handle as though it were a gun. The birds ignored the broom handle, but when he brought out an actual gun, the birds scattered. Okay, back to the science. The first study looked at brain structure. Mammals, which are generally smart animals, have a brain with an outer layer called the cortex. Neuroscientists assume that the cognitive abilities of mammals are related to the size and function of this brain region, which has a characteristic layered structure, kind of like, well, a layer cake. But birds can be very smart too. And some species have amazing cognitive abilities, as demonstrated by the crow story. Birds don't have a cortex, but they have a similar structure on the outer portion of the brain called the pallium. In the science paper, the researchers describe a layered structure in the pallium, similar to what is seen in the mammalian cortex. And they also found that the cells in the bird palliums had a structure much like that of cells in the mammalian cortical regions. And because bird brain cells, called neurons, are smaller, the pallium of songbirds and parrots, which were studied in the science report, actually can hold many more neurons than an equivalent-sized mammalian cortex. The second study was of brain function, and the scientists used recordings of electrical activity in single neurons from different areas of the pallium of crows, while the birds performed several different tasks. This kind of measurement illustrates the functioning of the cells. And by comparing the activity of cells from different regions, the scientists were able to conclude that crows have a specific kind of cognitive ability called sensory consciousness. Here's what the birds did. The crow initiated a trial by pushing a lever. Then a brief visual stimulus was flashed onto a screen. Sometimes the presentation was so brief that the stimulus couldn't be seen. After a delay, a rule was shown to the crow as to how to respond, indicating whether it had seen or not seen the stimulus. A red card meant yes, the stimulus was seen, whereas a blue card meant no, it wasn't seen. This means that the crow had to maintain an internal representation of what it saw for a period of time while waiting to be told what to do with that information. The cool thing about this experiment is that it separated the visualization of the stimulus from the later response of the crow. In other words, activity in the crow brains in this experiment took place in two steps. The first step was seeing or not seeing the stimulus, and the second is the report by the crow. 
In primates, including humans, these two actions are controlled by different brain regions, and this is exactly what the scientists found in the crow brains. This finding indicates that crows are consciously processing the visual stimuli. If you think back to the story about the broom and gun, you won't be surprised by this conclusion. Last week, NASA's OSIRIS-REx mission grabbed a sample of dirt and rocks from an asteroid. That sample will be brought back to Earth to study this near-Earth asteroid and find out what it can tell us about the origins of the solar system. OSIRIS-REx launched four years ago and took two years to arrive at its target, the asteroid Bennu, named after an Egyptian deity. Bennu is thought to contain pristine material from the formation of the solar system about 4.5 billion years ago, potentially including the organic molecular precursors to life on Earth. For the past 22 months, the OSIRIS-REx spacecraft has been orbiting this small 500-meter-sized asteroid to map it and find a clear spot to grab the sample. This was particularly tricky since Bennu's surface is extremely strewn with rocks and boulders. The spacecraft reached out to touch the asteroid using an 11-foot arm with a sample-grabbing device at the end called the Touch-and-Go Sample Acquisition Mechanism, or TAGSAM. TAGSAM is a disc-shaped mechanism looking much like a Roomba vacuum cleaner. And, much in the same way, TagSam vacuumed up a bunch of rocks, pebbles, and dirt from the asteroid. It was so successful that TagSam was filled to overflowing. The spacecraft will now stow the sample in a special container and fly it back to Earth, delivering the sample to a landing spot in Utah on September 24, 2023. NASA's OSIRIS-REx mission is led by the University of Arizona, but has connections here in Colorado with team members at Lockheed Martin in South Denver, the University of Colorado, and Southwest Research Institute in Boulder. Lockheed Martin also designed and built the TAGSAM that so successfully collected the bits of asteroid for scientists here on Earth to study for years to come. To learn more about OSIRIS-REx, go to asteroidmission.org and listen to the How on Earth archives for our show on December 25th, 2018, where we talk to Boulder scientist and OSIRIS-REx team member, Dr. Vicki Hamilton, about the mission right at the time when it first arrived at the asteroid Bennu. Many European dentists have practiced holistic dentistry for decades. The practice is now becoming more common in the U.S. This idea is that many common chronic conditions, obesity, inflammation, stroke, diabetes, Alzheimer's, heart disease, and cancer, among others, often have their origins in the mouth. And by treating the mouth, the body can thereby benefit. I recently spoke with Dr. Dominique Nischwitz about his new book, 
it's all in your mouth, to learn more about the relationship between our mouths and the rest of the body. Welcome to the show, Dr. Dominic Nischwitz. And you came out with a really cool book recently about biological dentistry called It's All in Your Mouth. And we will post a link both to the book and to your website in the show notes. So maybe you can start off by telling us about biological dentistry. What exactly does that mean? Hi, Bess. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, biological dentistry, in my opinion, is the overlap of functional medicine, health optimization, biohacking, and high-tech dentistry with one goal, which is optimal health. It's a little bit contrary to regular medicine where the goal is over health is defined as absence of disease. We are really looking for optimal health. And the concept is health starts in your mouth. And from a conventional dental point of view, there's lots of things that might disrupt your whole system. And it was really interesting to me to see a diagram of the mouth with the teeth laid out and sort of a meridian-like analogy expressed so that the location of each tooth can actually correspond to different parts of the body to give you an idea of what the mouth might be doing in terms of influencing the other parts of the body. Yes, 100%. So this chart is called odontone or meridian chart and basically shows how your teeth are connected to your whole autonomic nervous system. Basically, from an anatomical point of view, your teeth are kind of an elongation of your brain, like your eyes. So the teeth are tiny little organs, not just biting instruments. They qualify as organs, they have a blood supply, they have a lymph supply, they have a nervous system, and they basically stand on top of one of the 12 cranial nerves which is called the um, trigeminal nerve. And the interesting thing is that the trigeminal nerve um, needs 50% of the space of all the other cranial nerves. So it's kind of very important for the body. And of course, anything that you're doing on your teeth, in your teeth or in your mouth is part of your body. And basically biological dentistry is showing that maybe health starts right there and we not just can yeah, see teeth as kind of like a biting instrument because in university you basically learn the high-tech dentistry and that if you have any cavities or bigger holes you can do root canal or filling basically it's a reparation job kind of like a garage where you bring in your car and then you maybe put on a new uh, color or some um, yeah, or fill a dent and basically this is what you do as a dentist but because the connect because of the connection to your overall system and basically this is where everything starts you eat with your teeth it's the whole entrance to your gut system and those tiny teeth are kind of really interesting from a more holistic point of view oh yeah they're incredibly interesting um, and i want to come back to the high-tech dentistry in a few minutes but I want to start with kind of a, a basic level. Um, I've always thought of the mouth as kind of an ecosystem. And so there's like with any ecosystem, there's always a shifting balance depending on what the food sources are and, you know, what the herbivores are and what the predators are. And so that that's not new to people to think about the mouth in that sense. But then you build on that um, base layer 
by talking about all these additional kinds of interactions, like you're just pointing out with the autonomic nervous system. And I, I just want to touch on some of those really fascinating points that I had no idea about. And I think a lot of people don't either. Like just for instance, um, you're talking about each tooth as a little organ and it has this covering called the pellicle and it has these fibers called Sharpie's fibers that hold them in place so that it's a really dynamic place. It's not just a static place of these hard things in there that are only for grinding and chewing. So can you talk about like saliva and pellicle and the, the basic structure of the teeth in the mouth? Because that's also amazing to me. Wow, yes, thank you very much for that question. Yes, teeth are really fascinating because they are hard as a rock, like granite, but at the same time, they're as sensitive as like, even more sensitive than your fingers. You can touch, you can feel a, a hair with your teeth. And so the teeth are kind of hanging in your jawbone and those Sharpie, um, yeah, those Sharpie attachments you can see it kind of like the, the attachments from a trampoline. So the tooth can do like, can move, can be moved downwards, outwards, laterally, inside, outside. So that all the forces that will be applied through grinding, chewing, whatever you do with your teeth um, will be translated and the tooth doesn't break because it is so hard. It needs to be hanging in there and kind of loose. And the pellicle is, it's really fascinating. It's kind of like a, very thin skin that yeah that basically renews itself all the time and it's a protection for the teeth so that those teeth can grind without kind of like um, grinding each other like the enamel off it's kind of like a protection to slide can you say to glide or slide yeah um, yeah to glide or slide next to each other so it's a protection but also um, it's the um, it's the base again for some proteins for your immune system. It, I always describe it, if you know about um, Marvel movies, so like the Venom, that's uh, kind of these, yeah. It's oh, like a, yeah. <laughs> a slingy net that, yeah, puts itself on top of the teeth within seconds or milliseconds, like probably a thousand times a day. And also the saliva, or you, you can say, you said at the beginning, it's a re the mouth is a perfect ecosystem. And it changes with nutrition, like you said. So the first, the first contact the human body gets actually with a microbiome is through the womb, when, through the birth channel, where the vaginal flora comes in contact with your mouth and your nose. And basically these organisms yeah, will flourish later in your oral cavity and breastfeed, if you then breastfeed, it's a total different uh, microbiome than if you start eating or if you have a standard American diet or if you eat a paleo diet or a keto diet or you're vegan or you're an omnivore. So all these micro, uh, yeah, microorganisms change within three days just by different types of nutrition. And also does the saliva. The saliva is, it's kind of like a magic fluid in your mouth that's not just to make your gums um, more fluid. And uh, it's also a big part of your immune system. There are lots of immunoglobulins in there. There are peptides in there. You know that saliva has healing properties. So it's basically an instinct that if you cut yourself or that you get stung by a bee or whatever, that you just put on 
some saliva will just suck on the wound because of these uh, peptides in the saliva. So it has healing properties. Everything in your mouth basically heals in, in warp speed. It's the immune system in there. And of course, it's there to already pre-digest all your food. When you start chewing or even when you think about food, you start producing saliva and there are all the enzymes in there, amylases, there are lipases, like everything you need further down in your gut. That's why I always say it's the entrance to your gut system. And of course, if you have any dysbiosis in your mouth, then of course this transfers to your gut. Or if you have any inflammations on your gums, which I call leaky gum, it's the same as leaky gut, which you probably have heard of. So it's really important part of your immune system. And this microbiome in there is way more diversified than the microbiome in the colon, which makes perfect sense because everything you get in contact with at, the, at first glance is your mouth. You put everything into your mouth, food, whatever. And look at little babies. Little babies basically put everything in their mouth for the first three years. And this is how the microbiome gets diversified. The immune system gets stronger, better. And of course, if you put in stuff from a medical or dental point of view, in terms of just repairing teeth, this can also change your whole microbiome or your oral microbiome. That's why I always say oral microbiome first, that microbiome second. Basically, you do it all in one. But um, it's not outside body. And the FDA and the regulations, for example, for crown work or fillings, are still kind of like your filling is a device that is not really in your body. It's on top of your teeth and outside of your body. So that's why devices don't have to be like um, really toxicologically as you don't need to really look if there's any toxins in there because it's a, yeah, a wrong regulation actually. Yeah, that was really interesting that so many of the materials that are used for filling teeth and um, capping them and, and making implants can be potentially toxic. And there's a whole section that I would refer readers to in your book, because many things like gold that I thought of as inert, you show that they aren't actually inert. So maybe we can, we can jump into the dentistry aspect because you have some really cool um, things to say about that, that again, I had never heard of. Like maybe you could tell the, the listeners briefly about your experience with NICO, which was the, um, I can't even remember what the acronym stands for, but it sounds really awful. Yeah, yeah. Um, basically a biological dentist looks further than just repairing. We look for things we call oral interference. Basically, stuff that's put into your mouth to bite or whatever, but can disrupt your whole immune and nervous system. The usual suspects are metals. Any kind of metal, even gold, even titanium can be a problem. Root canal treated teeth. And cavitations or what you just said, NICOs, or the better word would be, the better wording would be FDOJ, which stands for fatty degenerative osteonecrotic jawbone, which is basically what we find in the bone there. NICO itself is a pathological um, term coined by um, Professor Bucot back in the 80s, and it stands for neuralgia-inducing cavitational osteonecrosis. And this is kind of like this term, this term isn't really cutting it because it's in itself it means that you have to have a neuralgia meaning like massive pain in your trigeminal nerve and then you basically find a chronic inflammation in your jawbone which is the cause and these cavitations or NICOs or FDOJ those are basically hidden health hazards or hidden cavity or cavitations in your jawbone what we find there is really 
fatty degenerative mushy necrotic bone. This is something that is still not medically accepted, even if there's tons of studies. And basically all medical departments look for, for these things, but the dentist. There's one chemo kind, it's kind of like a cytokine, the, the stuff that your immune system produces, which is pretty typical for these cavitations. So cavitations can um, form basically after all extractions. As so sorry, can, I, can I just interrupt and, and follow that idea about the cytokine, which like you said, is an immune system produced chemical, is so you could test for these with blood work, you wouldn't have to do an x-ray to find them? So for the cavitations, what we do, um, initially we just look at a panoramic x-ray and have a, sus, have a suspicion, but then we further do a three-dimensional panoramic, uh, a three-dimensional x-ray, which is called a cone beam, or in Germany it's called a DVT, a cone beam CT, and where you can see your jawbone and all the nerves and your teeth in, in 3D. And this is the, the gold standard to diagnose these osteonecrotic or osteolytic bone areas. You cannot see or say what's in the bone. This is something you have to then see clinically. But you could also do up front, this was the chemokine I was just mentioning, which is very connected to these cavitations. It's called RANTES, R-A-N-T-S, or also you can find it under the term CCL5. It's basically in, it's a, a chemical that your body produces to tell your body something needs to be repaired. But if that's chronically activated, there are tons of studies in the medical field that these RANTES can basically um, correlate with all chronic um, problems in your body. So for example, if you do a Google Scholar or PubMed search and type in RANTES and multiple sclerosis, you will probably find 3,000 references in a second. The only one uh, department who doesn't look for this is actually the dentist. So you can do the cone beam and you can also do a lab work and see, is this chemokine um, too high on the lab? It's a blood work. And then you have even more suspicion to open it and do the surgery. And yeah, you can have most of the time in the Western world because of, um, yeah, because we can talk about this later, it's mostly a nutritional part or de-evolution de problem. We don't have space for wisdom teeth. So wisdom teeth get removed, let's say with 80% of all people in the Western world within like the years of 12 to 20. So when you're in puberty, you're lacking nutrients, you have the wrong diet, you're not prepared for surgery, huge surgery, huge cuts, big trauma, and your body's just not able to repair this because it's in a catabolic state and nobody took care about the nutrition, just kind of like my specialty where I've invented a nutritional concept and a bone healing protocol so that these cavitations can be healed and later on there will be real bone. So it's kind of like a vicious cycle because if you would start training or treating our next generation, which is the goal, with the right nutrition, your body and your teeth are immune against cavity. And if you have enough material to be anabolic and grow, you won't have any um, spacing problems within your mouth because your body is not, don't grow too narrow. It will grow wider shaped and with all 32 teeth in, in place. Probably you don't even need braces. So it's kind of like a de-evolutionized De, can you say that the evolution problem and so if you had the perfect nutrition and loads of building blocks in the first place you would have had no cavities and you would have had 
place where you listen to music, so no cavitations. So you see where I'm going? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And it seems like there's this, there's been a convergence lately in the popular press of different sources of, of information pointing to this idea that you've um, delineated here and in your book that nutrition and even breathing style will shape our jaws and like in the last few hundred years our facial sh shapes have changed a lot so that we no longer have room for those wisdom teeth but we can go back and create a more um, ancestral kind of facial structure with the right conditions like you point out in your book yes that's yeah you got it totally perfect so for the future generation which is my kids um, the goal should be that we don't need any reparation anymore but of course nowadays there are millions of people that need reparation so we need the high-tech dentistry at one point but of course we have to also change the total mindset of this and yes actually um weston price maybe you heard of him he he um did these studies 100 years ago he was a he was an explorer basically and also a dentist i would say a biological dentist and he did yeah, he explored the Aborigines and he went to Africa, always on the boat into Switzerland. What he wanted to see is how does the um, physical body and the industrial nutrition um, correlate with each other. So he had a book, he has a book, it's called Nutrition and Physical Degeneration. Because what he found was when he visited, for example, Aborigines or Africa, where the, where the people were eating the original ancestral diets, which is basically lots of healthy protein. And what you can find in nature, they had perfect grown jaws, they had no scoliosis, they were like white shape, white nostrils, nose breathing, no mouth breathing, and look basically perfect. Whereas their, whereas their children or grandchildren, which had um, contact already with sugar and processed foods, milk, and loads of nutritional deficiencies because of this, they look kind of like little monsters having narrow faces, crowded teeth, mouth breathing. It's basically how not all, but a lot of our teenagers in the Western world just look right now, which is a big de-evolutionized problem. So we really have to change mindsets here because it's not necessary. And it starts with breastfeeding and actually going through the um, birth channel, if possible, of course, not every, not every woman is able to get a child, uh, get the childbirth through the regular um, birth channel and need a cesarean section, but, um, or can breastfeed. But this is how it all starts. If you breastfeed, for example, you train the nose breathing, you, you, and also the jaw muscle will be developed because sucking on a, on a um, what is that, on a breast, takes 12 times more strength than sucking on a baby and bottle. And this trains your whole jaw. So in the life, you would uh, breastfeed for about one and a half years to really get that, um, that jaw, um, yeah, the jaw growth and the space for later on. It starts early and you should take care about your nutrients that you're getting, macro to micro. Right, right. And there's, there's so much evidence from different sources that diet is so critical for so much of our health. So I'm glad that you're pointing it out for the mouth and not just the, inter the interior environment of the mouth, but also just the structure and shape. And so one final question for you, Dom. Um, this is such a new area. How can people find out about biological dentistry in their area? Yeah, it's a little bit difficult because, of course, this is the next level and we're training dentists now, not too many. 
Um, I would first of all look for a holistic dentist or biological dentist. There are a few, um, you can say, uh, what is the name? Like, I don't know the I don't know the word. Like societies, maybe. Okay. Like, okay. M or like Institute for Biological Dentistry and also the, the IAOCI, which is the International Academy of Oral Ceramic Implantology. And basically, you need to find people that are open, dentists that are more open-minded. And yeah, I try to give, we train as much as possible, but it, it takes time. And I'm only feeling comfortable to really recommend people that I have examined. Yes. Otherwise, yes. I don't know if it's really the full approach because as I said, it's the overlap of functional medicine health optimization and high-tech dentistry and the, the first two things is most of the time where they don't have any experience and this is where my experience comes in and yeah you can also find of course everything a lot in the, is already in the book and it's written for laymen so that everybody can understand i have an instagram it's called dr dom dr d-o-m-e-1 which is kind of like a yeah, i would say health magazine where you can learn lots of things about all these different areas and yeah great great and i will post a link to the book to your website and also to your instagram account and hopefully interested readers can pursue it from there well thank you so much for talking we have to leave it now because we are out of time but good luck with your practice and with your book thank you very much beth for having me i had a pleasure that was dr dominique mischwitz speaking about holistic dentistry that is the link between the health of the body and the state of the mouth. You can find a link to his website and the book in the show notes on the How on Earth website. That's all for this edition of How on Earth. I produce this week's show and I'm also the executive producer for the rest of this year. Additional contributions by Joel Parker. Our theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler, with additional music from Ludwig von Beethoven. This year is the 250th anniversary of his birth. Visit our website at howonearthradio.org to find past episodes, extended interviews, and you can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes or follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Questions or comments, call the KGNU comment line at 303 303- 447 and 9911. For How on Earth, the KG News Science Show, I'm Beth Bennett.